Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day, your one and only spot to listen to two nerds talk about the NFL draft. Nick, happy Monday. How you doing? Doing well. Uh, probably doing not as well as Sam Darnold, who's very happy that he is no longer a New York Jet, as he has just before we came on the show, traded to the Panthers for a 2021 six-round pick and a second and fourth-round pick in 2022. We'll get into that, but first, Michael, everyone was asking when you were gone on Friday, what is Michael possibly doing on a beach? Were you looking at film? What were you doing on vacation? <laughs> definitely uh, was, was looking less at film as usual, but uh, you know there were definitely some nights where I was – Gathered up in the hotel room right now, some reports. So, a little vacation, a little break, but never sleeps for the scouting industry, that's for sure. There you go, Michael. Very dedicated to his craft. All right, so let's talk about this trade here. Uh, first, we'll take it from the obvious perspective, the Jets' perspective. Um, they actually got a lot more than I thought they were going to get for Donald. You thought they were going to get like at least a second and third round pick there, which they did, plus the sixth. Um, so pretty on par with your expectations, but you, you look at that, uh, and they're obviously taking Wilson, Sam Arnold, no longer with the Jets. How do you, how do you look back on his tenure with the Jets and how do you feel about, you know, the package they were able to get for him? Well, I think what this tenure with the Jets kind of explains is exactly what is going to happen with this QB class. You know, there are four QBs that are being highly touted as these high ceiling prospects. And while they definitely have this high ceiling, the big part of it is landing in a good spot that a can help you develop and come along. Well, B can put a good supporting cast around you and C just making that transition yourself as a prospect from the college level to the NFL, Sam Darnold as a prospect, this was, he was the absolutely correct pick for the jets at the time. But the issue was the jets, had issues in terms of, you know, putting together that roster to really help him succeed. Adam Gase obviously had a poor tenure as well. And, you know, 
I don't think that Adam Gase 100% deserves blame. I do think that he was an awful head coach, but I think there was an awful roster that was built as well. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a young quarterback, you need to try to find a way to support them as best as you can. You look at two very similar situations when they first got drafted with Josh Allen on the Buffalo Bills and Sam Darnold on the New York Jets. In terms of offensive talent, they both had horrendous offensive lines, a weak running game, and a weak uh set of receivers the bills went out and invested in the wide receiver spot getting guys like john brown cole beasley and then eventually getting stefan diggs investing in that offensive line to where really this entire offensive line on the bills is set and very solid and then you look at the jets you know they finally got makai becton but it wasn't enough to make up for the rest of the offensive line struggles they had you know a guy like denzel mims this year but he was a second round rookie wide receiver the the issues for the jets Maybe you can look at Darnold and say, look, he didn't play as well as he needed to. And I absolutely agree. He should have been better. But there's a huge part that falls into it in terms of development and helping your QB take those next steps. And the Jets didn't do it. So hopefully, you know, we can see some career resurgence with the Carolina Panthers. And there's no better person to do it than Joe Brady. And now it kind of comes down to will the Panthers – kind of invest in that offensive line, especially with a class that is up right now that has tremendous offensive tackle talent in the mid rounds. You know, there's so many guys like Deontay Brown or even earlier guys like a Creed Humphrey or Landon Dickerson that can help out the interior offensive line. So the Panthers have the receiving weapons, you know, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, those are weapons that are going to be cherished by Sam Darnold compared to what the Jets had. But at the same time, the Panthers still have some steps to do if they want to help Sam Darnold really recover what was a shaky start to his career. And I just really quickly want to bring in our main man of this website, Mr. Chris Landry himself. Chris, we're just talking a little bit about the new Sam Darnold trade to the Carolina Panthers. So we wanted to get your thoughts on Sam Darnold in terms of both how the Jets handled his situation and if you think that there's anything left in the tank for him to find success in Carolina. Yeah, I think one of the misunderstood parts about the draft is um, is how players are developed. And it is essential. I, there's a lot of players that have ability. Certainly a lot's on them to, to be hard workers, always particularly at quarterback want to know what's the capacity and willingness to learn, but but it has to be in good situations. Um, you know, the Jets have been awful. They've been awful around him, and so the whole development has been non-existent. And, and the reality is they have kind of, through the three years, just have done really nothing to aid that. There have been points in breaking down film where you see the ability. Um, but because they've done a poor job of putting a team around him, it – is impossible to evaluate him correctly. All the Jets are doing is hitting the reset button and say, well, we're going to get another young quarterback and we're going to, you know, hope to develop with a new regime. And, and, you know, I think Joe's done some good things. We'll see, though, how well he can put a team around the quarterback that he drafts or else we're sitting here and talking about the same situation. If, if Sam Dorner was in this draft, He'd probably be the second pick in the draft by the Jets. But if they they don't do as good a job of building a team around 
um, the quarterback, it, it won't make a whole lot of difference. I, I think they're good quarterbacks in this draft, but I think Sam Donald is, is, is an example of a guy that was every bit well thought of in, in the, in my world of, of, in the NFL had just hadn't been developed. So we'll see how well I, I bet he'll have a much better career in Carolina, better coaching, really good, uh, you know, probably a, an up and coming team that can get better. So, um, I think it's a lesson to learn when people say, well, who's going to have the best career? Uh, I'd be willing to bet whoever San Francisco draft is going to have the better career, why they have a better team around them. I mean, it's as, it's as simple as that. I mean, uh, if you take Patrick Mahomes, who's kind of the poster child for the great quarterbacks in the league today, uh, can do everything, you put him on the Jets and they're not making the playoffs, and people are saying, boy, that guy makes a lot of plays, but he makes a lot of mistakes, and he turns it over, and they don't win many games, yada, yada, yada. The point is the quarterback position is the most important position, but it's the most dependent. And I think even you saw it in the Super Bowl with the offensive line problems, and they couldn't get a whole lot. I think that gets lost. It's people that maybe treat the draft kind of like fantasy football, like this and that. It's really it's about team building, and the draft is the starting point. It's not the end point. And I think for so many of these players, they're not developed very well, and there are different reasons for that. But that's been the case with Sam, and I'm excited to what he can do in Carolina. And, um, you know, we'll see. Obviously, I think we know what the Jets are going to probably do, but I'm curious to see what it is they do as a team in building around um, the quarterback that they do take. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. think absolutely. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, Chris, welcome in here to the show. Really excited to have you on. It's quite possible that we could be sitting here in four years doing this show, talking about the Jets picking a new quarterback and trading Zach Wilson again, because like you said, it's very important what they're putting around them. I did some research here. I'm going to read you guys a list of some quarterbacks or all the quarterbacks drafted in the first round in the last 10 years. It's, it's going to take quite a long time before you guys can stop me and hear a, a player who's still with his team. So we start in 2011. Cam Newton goes number one overall to the Panthers. You know he's gone. Jake Locker, remember all the hype of, from him coming out of Washington? Everyone thought, can't miss prospect. You got Blaine Gabbert, went to the Jaguars. Christian Ponder, that's the first round in 2011. Andrew Locke, he retired in 2012. RG3, you know he gets hurt. Ryan Tannehill, he's still in the league, but he's not with the Dolphins. Brandon Whedon, he was very hyped coming out of Oklahoma State. He was 28, though. 2013, one of the worst drafts for QBs, EJ Manuel. He goes in the first round to the Bills. He doesn't last too long. 2014, who could forget the Jaguars taking Blake Bortles at number three and the, the Browns at the end of the first round to get in Manziel. Teddy Bridgewater goes to the Vikings, and I'll give that a good pick there because you don't know what would have happened with Teddy Bridgewater if he didn't get hurt. He was on his on his way right there to a, a great career. Winston goes first in 2015. You know he's not with the Bucks anymore. They have Brady. They win a Super Bowl. Mariota, he's backing up right now for the Raiders, although I'm a little surprised he didn't say, I'm not restructuring my deal because I thought there was plenty of opportunities from this offseason where he could have potentially latched on as a starter, so I was surprised. Paxton Lynch, who could forget that in 2016 going to the Broncos? Then he got 2017 where he actually finally got some quarterbacks who are still there. Trubisky goes number two. He's backing up with the, the Bills now. Uh, of course, Mahomes, he's he's there with the Chiefs. Watson's still there with the Texans. We'll see what happens. Not only does he have legal issues, but you know he doesn't want to be there, so we'll see what happens there, but still a quality pick there. 2018, you know, it was a really solid draft. So other than Donald, everybody's still in place. Mayfield, 
He looked good. The Browns, they turned around to him. Allen looks like he could be an elite quarterback. He's, he's on the right trend. Josh Rosen, you know what happened with him. He didn't really get a fair shake. Gets replaced by Kyle Murray. Lamar Jackson, MVP. Tua Tagovailoa goes in 2019 to the Dolphins. And some people are already doubting him after one year, which is crazy. And, of course, how could we forget the great pick by the Washington Redskins of Dwayne Haskins? Unbelievable pick there. Daniel Jones, we'll see what happens with the Giants. And then last year, uh, of course, with, after, with Daniel Jones, we have Joe Burrow. Um, we got Herbert, looks, looks great. And Jordan Love, anything, he just, you know, enabled the Packers to get an MVP season out of, the, out of Aaron Rodgers. So, with all that said, I know it's a lot, guys, but it's a true crapshoot when it comes to drafting a quarterback here. We didn't even mention, you know, I didn't even mention Russell Wilson going later on the rounds there. So just because everybody basically has the same top five and we'll look at our top five soon, doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's looking the same way and it's going to work out that way. Absolutely. And when you look at it from a hindsight perspective, a lot of these rankings for QB or any position are going to change. You know, we talk about guys like a Trevor Lawrence, you know, a Justin Fields, a Zach Wilson, a Trey Lance. These guys are great QB prospects, but if they don't go in a pro in a place that really builds around them properly, effectively uses their strengths to make the offense produce, then we could very easily be talking about these guys as, wow, that pick really didn't work out. And it's easy to blame the QB, but a lot of it falls on the coaching, the GM, the drafting, you know, everything that happens. It's all about team building, like Chris Landry said. And mm -hmm. really it's, it's just going to come into, you know, how do you play to these QB strengths? How do you adapt to what they bring to the table? And what do you put around them? And, you know, Sam Darnold obviously had his moments, but there were so many times where you just kind of felt bad for him because that Jets team was horrendous. Well, yeah, there, there's no question that uh, that the, the discussion about how this guy is going to change your fill-in-the-blank team or whatever – Look, having done this and and having drafted a quarterback and and you know drafting Steve McNair and you know been a part of the process, it's it's a lot different than I think people uh, know. I, I think the the thing that is changed so much is the instant gratification and how you know people are going to make snack judgments on what you think about a player and, and just talked about with Darnold and any quarterback it's now, do you want to give them that fifth year option? By the way, Carolina is going to pick up Donald's fifth year option. Obviously you don't make the trade if you're not, but you, it's kind of a race to know what you have before you sign a guy to his second year. And it used to be a little bit even riskier to draft a quarterback. Cause normally going back in the last bonus baby was Sam Bradford, but, Imagine taking a quarterback in the top five and paying them the guaranteed money that they used to get. So the reason why all those players were drafted and many of them didn't work, it's just the reality of pro football. If you have a good quarterback, a really good one, it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to win. But if you don't have a good one, it guarantees you that you won't win. So just the idea of I've got to have a quarterback, and if I don't have one, I'm going to take a chance here, take a chance there, take another chance year in and year out, and a lot of those guys don't pan out. Why is that? Well, there are different stories behind every one of those cases, but some of it guys were overgraded. I mean, I have this all along, and I tell people all along, um, you know, the, the grading scale that I work 
have worked with for 30 plus years that I still do with teams is, is there's a, anybody that's a six, four grade is high second round value. All those quarterbacks with six, four grades are automatically going to go in the top 15. They have for years from Flacco to anybody, Tannehill, all those guys. And they're the, the whole point of the exercise is this is where they are, but the importance of the position and the need for the position is so unique there that it just, I'm not going to have my job as a head coach or the general manager if I don't fix it. If the Bears don't fix the quarterback situation somehow, some way, those guys are going to not be there. And it often leads to a decision that's not the best decision for the future of their organization, but it is the, the only decision for the people that are currently there. And so you get that. You get a lot of risky moves. And this is why if you have a good quarterback, it's why it's so important. I mean, um, you know, you just, you know, you mentioned Paxton Lynch. I mean, it's just, it's kind of comical because the Cowboys were just bending over backwards to try to move up in that draft to get Paxton Lynch and couldn't do it. And they got Dak Prescott. And so you, you have a lot of those situations and I can go back to stories in the early eighties of, of, you know, decisions that we've made, but it's a different world. The quarterback position is more valued, more important. Uh, it is the toughest to fill. It's the toughest to develop. And if you change coordinators, you change head coaches, you change GMs, you start over, it, it, you've got, you've got all those factors to say, well, I don't want that baggage. I'm starting over fresh. And then now you throw in the second contract, which is so different, so important that if you don't know, if you don't have your answer, and that's the only thing right now that is to the benefit of say, if you're the Jets, we're going to have three years plus to evaluate the quarterback that we draft where we don't think we can build a good enough team quick enough to truly evaluate Sam Darnold. And so we're not going to be comfortable picking up the fifth year option because we've not done a very good job of building a team around. They're not going to say that I'm, I'm saying it for them, but that's the reality of where they are. That's the way it is today. And it's why you lead to a lot of decisions. Yeah. There's no question. We can talk all day. Right. About Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, where they go, how they're coached. Are they in the same system? Same people coaching them four or five years from now. Do they put a good team around them? That's the answer to who has the best career long-term and short-term. Right. Even like I love that you mentioned, you know, you have to put a great quarterback on a bad team. It doesn't mean much. Even Patrick Mahomes and the Jets last year, they're not a playoff team. Um, now, I, I love that we have you on here because I've I always wanted to know this. What are the thoughts, you know, inside football, the people working in the front office about the rule, the fact that you have to decide on that fifth year option before the fourth year? Is there a reason for that? And do you ever see that changing where it could just be like picked up after the fourth season? No, I think people like it. I think people like the option to be able to to make the move, which is why also, you know, you like the, I always say too, it's the other reason why if you like a quarterback at the top of the second, you soon take them in the first because you get the extra year to evaluate. It's tough. And, and it does depend upon where they're going. Look, I think that the best way to develop a quarterback, just to tie what we've talked about, you put a good team around a quarterback, but also if he can sit a little bit, it really does help because 
when you take a young quarterback and you throw him in, yeah, you can do some things that he's familiar with from his college game and he can have some early success. But when things settle down a little bit, it just becomes difficult and their head swimming and they tend to go back and it's tougher to develop the guy because instead of doing things the right way, they just go out and just play and they, it retards their development a little bit. So I, I do think Kevin is many years to evaluate at that position more than any is important. Uh, it really is. It's a different position because you have to know everything that everybody's doing on your side of the ball, on the opposition, and that's a tough, tough deal. And look, I mean, it, you can go back to Bill Walsh and Joe Montana. Bill Walsh had Joe Montana worked half field reads for three years. And I mean, you know, and it's a, it, it's just, it's a complex game. You know, I get it. You know, people say instant success with Patrick Mahomes, but even he's progressing, you know, a little bit, a little bit by little bit mentally, but he can do so many things physically and he has so many options that it looks great and the result is great yet, you know, he'll be able to do things from an improvisational standpoint that just belies coaching to some degree. But once he begins to start to really feel things and see things, you know, it's, it, it can only get better, but usually that corresponds with your physical skills eroding and you become a little bit more reliant on the pocket and whatnot. So yeah, there's no question about, I mean, I saw, I saw Peyton Manning struggle with over 30 interceptions in the rookie year. Nobody was as prepared as you can to be in the league coming out of college than Peyton. And he was swimming. I mean, he was – so everybody has a lot of things to suggest people. Well, you simplify for the quarterback. Sure, you can simplify. You have to simplify so the quarterback can be effective. But the more you simplify, the easier you are to defend because you're running simpler systems. So the race is always how can we simplify, not put so much in his plate, develop him, let him grow – but then just be able to add more and more because the more we're able to add, the more he's able to handle, the better he's able to be. And this is why sometimes people get frustrated with guys and they want veteran guys, but where do you go to get a veteran quarterback? It's just not, it's not, um, there, there's a reason free agency works differently than the draft is you protect your best players. Whereas in college, you know, you can go get the best guys. So. Yeah, we have some questions for you from our audience. But first, I want to let everybody know that for a look at the game of football from a coaching scout administrative perspective, go to LandryFootball.com today from high school, college to the NFL, from recruiting to the NFL draft to free agency, from pregame to postgame film analysis to all the inside scoop on players, teams, coaches, and schemes. LandryFootball.com is your source for all things football. So, Michael, why don't we take a look at some of our audience questions here? Yeah, absolutely. And some of these, you know, maybe are more jabs than genuine questions. But the first one we got, who's worse at evaluating QB talent, Elway or Kelly with a winky face? You know, there's always been some issues with with John Elway with Denver. But when he was able to get Peyton Manning, I mean, that showed that, you know, sometimes it's just a QB away. You look at these Chicago Bears teams, Ryan Pace has done a fine job of building this roster for a lot of it. I mean, maybe not now with all these guys kind of ready to leave, but you look at if they had someone that wasn't Trubisky at QB, that team could have very easily been contending for some Super Bowls during that reign and missing on the QB spot. It hurts. And, you know, both these GMs obviously have had their issues, but it, it really just, 
I, I don't know. It's it's hard to really crash them down as a GM when they've built good teams that are very QB dependent. Well, I think with Elway, um, I mean, obviously he recruited Peyton Manning. It wasn't like he unearthed Peyton Manning out of nowhere. I mean, yeah. he was a great player. And I think recruiting him, and the biggest thing he did is they said, Peyton, you come here and, and we're going to run your offense. And basically he's going to run. And that's that, quite frankly, was – the, the closeness, even though they were competitors, it was the reason why Tom Brady was excited about going somewhere. Because despite it wasn't put that way, and you see a lot of Bruce Arians' offense in Tampa, that if you watch the whole red zone of the Bucs, that's all pay, that's all, excuse me, Peyton. That's all Brady in, in, in the, the New England red zone offense. Um, it, there's no question. You know, we talk about Paxton Lynch and, you know, Elway struggled. The key guy that, that people really not, for me with behind the scenes, you know, Elway didn't have as much of an impact in the draft as people thought guy named Adam Peters, who's basically making the Niners look good. And John Lynch look good. was really the heavy lifter in their scouting department, really good. And the defensive coaches at the time, Foxy and Del Rio were the guys that really pushed for Von Miller and a lot of the defensive group, but you're, you're right. That was a good team. I think, that Elway got a little exposed when he had to evaluate a quarterback. And boy, I, I don't know that anybody missed as many guys give them credit for trying over and over again. I mean, you got to, but he, he didn't, he didn't even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Sometimes <laughs> he, he just, he just, uh, it was, it was bad. And look, it just goes to show you it's a different game. And I've, I've been around a lot of, I work with Ozzie Newsom. We shared office space and Ozzy was good because Ozzy learned the game with us, with Belichick. He learned how to coach and he learned how to evaluate. Elway, unfortunately, um, he, he, he's an icon and and he learned a little <clears throat> bit of the business side because he was involved in a, an ownership involved with an arena league team, but he, he really had no background in scouting. People think, this guy's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Who's better at evaluating quarterbacks? Just about anybody else that's ever coached a position and scouted for years, that is a big difference. And I think we saw that. Uh, I think whether it's him or whether it's a Matt Millen, who are really good players, Hall of Fame caliber players, doesn't make you a Hall of Fame caliber GM or even good as a guy like Isaac Newsom, who's a Hall of Fame player, but was a guy that learned it from the ground roots. I, I think that if you don't build a solid foundation and you don't study and learn, um, and we have a lot of people that come from a different side now from the business side and they get involved in personnel, quite frankly, that's why I think you got so many organizations that don't do a really good job, but I'm not criticizing it because it keeps me employed as a consultant because <laughs> you get a lot of people that really don't know football that doesn't, they don't come from the scouting background or the coaching background. I, I think it's really hard. There's no way, I could evaluate players for 30 plus years if I hadn't coached because it's just, there's so many things you call upon, you know, scouting the the draft and the talk about who's going to go, whereas the, is the fantasy part of it. But the real scouting angle is how to evaluate a player. What are the critical factors? We try to do a lot of that. You know, it's like, well, who's the top five? Well, there is no top five, top 10. There is, where are the grades? Do you grade players correctly? Then you stack them, and then you make sure that you grade them regardless of need. And then if you grade them correctly, 
you set your draft board up with integrity. And then if you've got players within the same grade plateau, then if you, you can take a player of need because you've essentially said these players are graded equally. I think the experience over the years of doing it, like anything, is the key. And I think some of these guys just don't have a real good feel for it, enough good experience. So that's why I'm very curious to see what what uh, I've known Urban Meyer since he was a graduate assistant at uh, met him when he was a GA at uh, for Earl Bruce at Ohio State. I'm curious to see how well he's going to do. He, he and I've talked about the NFL for years, and I'm curious to see what he does. We've got Trent with them, Trent Balky, and I'm <clears throat> what they do and, and how quick of a study he is. He's been really good at evaluating players at the, at the high school level for college. It's a different game. You can't go out and get them all. It's a big challenge. Absolutely. And another comment we have is change of scenery and coaching staff could be good for Donald. We already talked about that. Yep. We absolutely agree. And question for you, what would you say is the most important attributes when projecting a QB success at the next level? And obviously you talked about how the game has changed. Maybe someone who wasn't as mobile could have done a lot better in even as early as like 10 years ago. Whereas now that's a big part of the game. So what do you think in today's game matters most for a QB success in terms of just traits? Quarterback play. When you talk about, first of all, as a passer, there are two things. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into these two, but does a quarterback know where to go with the football and can he get it there accurately? The most important physical quality is accuracy. Arm strength is a big part of accuracy. Um, you know, if you can't have enough zip on the ball, throwing it out and being accurate to keep it online where it needs to be, there's a certain basic level of arm strength that you need. The, the, the guy with the strongest arm versus the guy that is strong enough, that doesn't give you a lot of advantages. But there's difference between arm strength and the ability to throw the ball deep. Throwing deep really comes from your legs. Throwing outside the numbers and throwing off platform is arm strength. Mahomes, again, to use as an example, when you can throw the football throwing parallel to the ground, no legs coming in at that. That's just arm strength. That's God-gifted. That's unique. What makes that difficult to defend is you can get the ball in a place that maybe others can't. But if you're, you're a different type of guys, if you're a guy from the pocket, Setting your feet affects your accuracy. Um, but, you know, the, the game has changed. It's not pitching. You know, you're not on a mound. I mean, you, the game moves. So the ability to throw it accurately on the move. But but the first thing I, I need to know is I need to grade a quarterback's capacity to learn and willingness to learn. What is that? How smart is he? What, what can he learn? I don't care what he knows about the game. I care – what he knows what relative to what he's been taught. Okay. I, I want to know a guy's ability to learn. I teach him and there are drills that we can put where we teach him. We go back and we talk about other things and we come back and say, now go back on the board and tell me what I told you 15 minutes ago. What's their ability to recall and understand it? And what's their willingness to do it? I don't care what it is, what, what, what you guys are doing now and doing such a great job, by the way, I may add, it's about what's your desire. If you are just doing it like a lot of people in society, let's call it what it is. 
I got a job. I don't really like it. It pays the bills, whatever. That's not football. If you are, if you're a pass rusher and you can rush the passer and you got limited knowledge, you're not crazy about the game, but you know, you can get away with it to a certain degree. If you're a quarterback and you don't love the game, if you don't eat, sleep, drink the game, if you don't, if you're not compelled to be in to be the first one there, you just, you just, it's, you're never going to be as good as you can be. The gym rat effect. Those are two things, but mental ability, competitiveness. Okay. A guy that when you do that, that exudes leadership. Quick story. Um, Parcells is one of my mentors. So Drew Brees is drafted by Parcells. Comes in as a rookie. He's all gung-ho. He comes into the office, look at film at 6 o'clock in the morning. He's, you know, doing all this and all that kind of stuff. And after a while, Parcells calls him in and says, how's it going? And, yeah, coach, I'm coming in. I'm doing this. He said, yeah, I know. I see. You see it by 6, 15, 6.30. You know, you're in in time. You look at film and, you you know, you says, but let me tell you how you're going to do it from now on. He says, you're going to get in at 5.15. And you're going to look at the film before we get together as an offensive group. I want you to look at the film so that when you're in that meeting with the coordinator, you've already seen it and you already have the answers. And oh, by the way, you're going to bring the donuts in for the for the veterans. So what that does, is, and he learned it, he didn't know he was you know, he's in there early enough. He's the first guy. He just now is going to come in earlier. So now when he's in that meeting. And all the offensive guys, players, he's got the answer. They start, hey, this kid knows what he's doing. He knows it. They begin to develop confidence. You know, you don't, confidence is not something that you can go buy or rent. You got to earn it, right? Well, how do you earn it? You have to know what you're talking about. They have to believe in you. And that starts in the classroom setting. It starts in the practice field. And if you do those things, so are you that type of guy? What's your mental ability? What's your competitiveness? Accuracy is important. Certainly, I break down and study the release type and the quickness and the arm strength and the body size and production. Look, if you're Drew Brees, you know, you can't be, well, it doesn't matter. You can be six feet. Any quarterback can be six feet. It doesn't matter because Drew Brees did it. No. Drew Brees was successful because even though he lacked the metric and he was height deficient, he had the certain areas that allowed him to overcome it. He was explosive from under center. He can get deeper in the pocket quicker. Kyler Murray's having to do that. So there are things you can do to overcome it, but not everybody can overcome it. It's not like, well, every 5'9 linebacker is going to be the next Sam Mills. You know how many 5'9 linebackers are the next Sam Mills? About 1,500, none of them were. You know, so you what can you what are you doing to overcome it? So those are the things to me. It's the mental awareness, the, the competitiveness, the accuracy. Those are things that are really important. But just the mental part of the game, the toughness, all those things. And then, all you know, how well you can have those things if you're on a bad team. I mean, how good is Matthew Stafford, really? We know he has a lot of those things, but we don't think of – people don't think of – many people don't think of Matt Stafford as a great quarterback. I think he's a great talent. I think that they've not done a really good job with him in Detroit. And and I think we, we've kind of exhausted that point, but that's a big part of it. I've seen a lot of good quarterbacks 
do a really, really good job in having all these things, but you can't do it by themselves. They're the most dependent, most important, but most dependent. Tom Brady, love him. He is the, they don't go to the Super Bowl without Tom Brady. Okay. There's no doubt in my mind, but, but Tom Brady was with the Jets of Detroit this past year. They're not going to the playoffs. You know, so the point is, is he, in a good situation, he elevated the Patriots. He made it different for the Patriots. You see the effect of him not being on the Patriots, big factor. Um, but but he also picked a good team in Tampa that was kind of a quarterback away, and he and he lifted them up. But he didn't lift them by himself. He had talent around him. I think we lose sight of that. You guys deal with that all the time. You deal with fans all the time that. The quarterback is the sexiest position. It's the one that's most talked about. It is the most important, but it is the most dependent, and they can't do it by themselves. Absolutely. It, yeah, and Real I think quick. as far as quarterbacks – oh, well, God, read that comment. Oh, I was right just going to say, we got a comment from Twitch saying, God, I miss Gruden's QB camp. We need Chris to pick up the mantle. Chris, we uh, we got some fans clamoring you for uh, your uh, uh, I, I like everybody, man. Ah, <laughs> he's uh, a piece of work. Yeah, he uh, he hadn't he hadn't had a quarterback. John hadn't had a quarterback he doesn't like. He is the he is the proverbial <laughs> he, he like Chris Sims. <laughs> he is the proverbial, you know, uh, uh, high school kid going through puberty. Every girl is the prettiest girl walking yes. at the at the school dance. He loves them all. <laughs> loves them all. Loves them all. The That's, next guy is his favorite one. <laughs> so obviously, the two ways to win in the NFL are one, a, a, a good QB on a rookie deal, or two, a great QB in a team-friendly deal. So it's either – I mean, look at it. These these rookie deal quarterbacks or Tom Brady have been winning basically every Super Bowl, circling a little Peyton Manning at the end of his career there, which is crazy. But Rick here says it seems to him that many of the younger quarterbacks are unable to read defenses like they once were. Has the rise of the freak athletes caused this shift, or has the college game, maybe, you know, because everybody's in the shotgun now, not done a good job of preparing these kids for probably reading defenses? Well, it, it is the college game. The college game has kind of infiltrated the pro game to some degree, and it is a lot of shotgun. And then, you know, <laughs> you, they, they got to play right away. You see, the way it used to work is – you draft a, you know, before I was in the league when you didn't, when I started in the league, when you didn't have free agency, you drafted a guy, no rookie quarterback would ever start. I don't care who it is. I mean, it would be Roger Staubach. I mean, they all sat. Nobody does that now. I mean, it's, you know, let's go ahead and let's, we got to put them in. We need to see what we have. You know, he's on a rookie contract, but we need to know before. And yet, you know, so again, um, Josh Allen. A lot of things struggle to read defenses, struggled, but good team around him. He progressed. Brian Dayball did a good job with him, but they did a good job around him. So, yes, it's a lot of the college game that's a little different, and you're having to make that adjustment and you're having to throw them in right away. Well, they're all going to struggle. Everybody struggles. I mean, Peyton struggled. I mean, you know, Brady didn't play until he got thrown in. I mean, they all struggle to some degree. And the ones that don't struggle, the teams can kind of kind of cover that up a little bit. And it's because they're having to play right away. I think the look, there is a there's a process to learning the position. Learn in the classroom and being able to take it onto the practice field. And when you take it onto the practice field, then you got to be able to take it to the game. And if people will say things like you can't learn until you play, and that's not true. 
it, 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 you can learn certain things. I, I equate it to this. I don't know if you guys play golf, but but a lot of people play golf, and and when they don't, when the swing is bad, they go to the driving range, and they get a biggest bucket of balls that they can, and they beat balls and thinks they're getting better. Well, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. If you go and hit a bunch of balls and you just repeat the bad habits, then you're just ingraining bad habits. A lot of times what you do with young quarterbacks, you throw them onto the field, you utilize their athletic ability, their their arm talent. They don't necessarily know what to do, and you kind of teach them as they go. Well, of course you're not going to be good at reeling defenses. And first of all, it's a different read. It's a different look. There are things you can do to create matchups with certain players to where you can have a, a first, a high-low read, a half-field read. That's pretty simple to read, but it's not the complete feel. Well, again, it's a little more of a challenge to be consistently successful in the NFL, but you can still be successful and tail around it, and you have to. You have to put the young guy on the field. Back in the day, you didn't. So it's going to continue to be that way because you're playing these guys younger and younger. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see now what happens with Teddy Bridgewater. Does Donald definitely start? But we need to know one thing, Michael. The Panthers are not going to be drafting the quarterback here. So why don't we take a look at your rankings? And then, of course, we're going to have to address how things are going to impact it here with the Panthers definitely not going quarterback. Absolutely. And we're going to start out with the 10 through 6. So at number 10, I got Ian Book, quarterback out of Notre Dame. At the college level, he was a phenomenal QB, quick, mobile, has a nice release. He worked really well off script, which I think is encouraging for his potential at the NFL level. But there's still issues in terms of his overall arm talent. He doesn't lead his receivers as well in the quick game as you would like to see. And there's still some throwing motion issues. Hopefully, you know, at the NFL level, if he does find that success, breaks free as this sleeper QB that really, you know, finds success in the NFL, it's something that's going to have to come with, you know, first off, depending heavily on that mobility and quick game that he has been so efficient at in the college level, but also fixing up his throwing motion a little bit, being better at leading his receivers, and really just capitalizing on the short game. Because, yes, there is a potential for growth with the arm strength at the next level, but I do think that as far as we've seen from Ian Book, the arm strength isn't going to be there with the top of the league. So you kind of look at how he can work in that short to intermediate game. And I think there is potential to be enticed. And that's why he's made here at number 10 at number nine, looking at Davis mills, one of the most talked about QBs outside of the major five. And that's because there's so much unknown about him. He's a quick mover outside of the hashes. He throws phenomenally well, but there's some issues in terms of how he throws downfield for me. I understand, you know, there's been some questions called on Stanford's offense because it's this traditional pro offense that hasn't really adapted to the new style of the league. And maybe in a more shotgun heavy approach in a better downfield system, he could find success. But one of the biggest question marks about Davis Mills is that he hasn't had much time on the field, sat behind Costello for a long time at Stanford. And this year, due to the pandemic, there was only six games for Stanford to play in. He played in five. I do think that there is potential here with Davis Mills. Personally, for me, I view him as a backup-style QB, but there is definitely some entice and some people that I respect a lot as scouts think that he could be the steal of this draft for the QB class. At number eight, I look at Kyle Trask, and this may be a little bit low for a lot of people. What I really have issues with is he's a little bit immobile. You know, mobility has become such a big part of the NFL in this era, and he just – 
struggles. And it's not just that he's a pocket passer. It's also that he can't move around in the pocket that well. A lot of his throws are one gear. You know, they don't really have a lot of zip on them. And the overall arm talent in terms of really extending the field, especially when you are a pocket passer like Kyle Trask will be, you know, there's just not a lot to put all over the field. So he's a short to intermediate guy. He, he demonstrates very nice touch. You know, you watch the Georgia game and even going against some solid corners like Tyson Campbell, he was able to put balls where only his receivers could get it. So there's definitely potential here. And I think this is someone that very easily could be a spot starter viewed in a very highlight as a backup role that goes earlier than maybe some people expect. But in terms of overall ceiling, I'm a little bit hesitant on investing in Kyle Trask. At number seven, I got Jamie Newman. I have the Wake Forest logo. Obviously, he went to Georgia. There's going to be big question marks for a lot of scouts out there trying to figure out really the situation in Georgia and how they want to address that because really he should have been the starter there. JT Daniels also transfers to Georgia and he opts out. You can say it's because of the pandemic. I think a lot of people kind of feel, though, that it is because he was worried that he would lose his starting spot. You know, in terms of what we saw on film, though, and that's as much as we can talk about, is there's arm talent. You know, he puts a lot of velocity on these passes. He's a very mobile and aggressive player. He throws downfield. He has the discipline to not just fire deep all the time, but he does attack downfield at a very efficient rate, which you love to see out of a young QB. In terms of negatives in his games, you know, I don't see a lot of precision in his passing. You don't see a lot of balls right on the numbers, and I think that's a big issue for him. Fixing up his mechanics, and again, it's another inexperienced issue for Jamie Newman that we'll have to see how he grows with time, and hopefully he'll get that in the preseason and in the NFL building. At number six, I got Kellen Mond, and this is one of the biggest question marks in this class as well because there's so much potential here. But even at Texas A&M, you saw it. One game he'd come out throw 23 for 27, 300 yards, four touchdowns. And the next game, he come out and throw 11 for 27, 143 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. So there's inconsistency and streakiness in his play. He underthrows plenty of passes, and he has some bad decisions on tape. You see it, he makes the wrong read, he still throws it, and you know maybe the interceptions were limited this year, but there were still plenty of balls out there that were bad. Looking at him from the strength perspective, though, there's natural arm talent. He's a mobile and physical runner. He can extend plays, and he handles pressure well. So if you have a guy that can really help him out taking those next steps, Kellen Mond could be a great pick in this draft. I look at places like Pittsburgh, places like Washington, where you have a veteran in place, so you aren't forcing him into the fire if something you know, really needs to happen and he shows himself. You know, You can put him in, but I think this is a place where you're looking at this guy in the third round and if you can get him somewhere where he can sit and hopefully develop and grow his game, you could be looking at getting a starter with your day two pick. Chris, of these 10 QBs, or of these five QBs here that are outside the top five, do you see anyone that really entices you as their next level projection? Or do you think, you know, you kind of uh, agree with the with the rankings, I guess? Yeah, you know, there's only six guys that I think have a chance to be starters out of this draft, this quarterback draft class. Um, and, you know, Kyle Trask could be the only one that would fit into that category in chance. Now, um, the thing about doing a board, and I've got the quarterback board, I've got my horizontal board up and I'm doing the position boards day by day. And quarterbacks are up on LandryFootball.com. And so obviously when you're doing a board for the entire league, 
it's not possible. First of all, everybody has a different board. So if, if you're working on a pocket system, you're, you're going to like what a Mac Jones is going to do. You like what a child crass is going to do. Um, if you want more mobility, you're not going to be as high on them, but you know, you got to factor that in. I think in a pocket system, I think Kyle can be effective and I think he's worth developing. Um, and, you know, to me, I think Davis Mills is can be a really solid backup in the league. The guy that intrigues me that has some natural ability that I'd like to develop uh, down the road would be Jamie Newman. I uh, really like this tape at Wake Forest. I know he didn't play well against Clemson again, overmatched with, with in terms of talent there. But he's got some ability to make plays off platform, but he's very raw. I thought he made a mistake by not playing this year, at least not practicing. I didn't care if he started. You look at where his, you know, his drafts. I mean, he's just he's just out of sight, out of mind. And that you got to go back to the Wake Forest. So, so I, I, I think that I'm not as high on. There, there's some, there's some um, personnel directors that I've worked with that 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 are like Kellen Mond that think he's a top fifty prospect. Uh, I am not one of those. Um, not a believer in him. I think Jimbo does a great job with quarterbacks. You mentioned, I think it was Nick that mentioned, was talking about going through the list of EJ Manuel and Christian Ponder and got Jimbo does a great job teaching the run game and and really creates a lot of spacing and coverage. I, I think I, I think Kellen has got some physical skills, but I am not comfortable with his accuracy, his ability to get the ball out on time. So I've got a I've got a lower round grade on him. So I, you know, I they're, they're, they have numbers on the board, and if you go to LandryFootball.com, you see it. So you got the superstar ability guys, and you got one guy there, and you've got like what I would call immediate starters or early starters, and they're three, and then you've got potential starters, which would be depending on the situation. Now, you know, obviously you can – you may be forced into start even though you're not quite graded there. But then the chance to make um, uh, guys would be would – be, most of the guys that you've got there in my mind. Uh, and then, you know, I think there's the potential backup guys, which, which are some other guys that I think are just camp guys that, uh, but I only, I only see six guys. And obviously you probably know who those are that, that are going to uh, have a chance to start out of this draft in my mind. Absolutely. And we move on to the top five. First and foremost, I want to bring up my grading scale. So what I do is I look at it from an immediate impact, you know, a letter grade for how I think they come into the league, and then a long-term projection with a number grade. So if someone had an A1 grade, that would mean that I think immediately they come in and they're going to be an efficient player, a high-quality starter, and then they have the ceiling and projection of a superstar. Now, I do want to warn you guys, I'm a little bit uh, Gruden-esque, I guess, in terms of projections. <laughs> I want these guys to succeed. I look at their ceiling maybe a little bit more flattering than they will actually turn out. But at the same time, there are some issues that could potentially look at, you know, someone like a field who I have a one on for their long-term projection could easily have their issues and be in that three, four, maybe even five whenever we look at it down the road. And then there's guys that maybe I have a grade on that I'm low on and they could easily overcome that grade. So I don't want you to think that just because I'm giving someone a two, I don't think there's any chance they can become a superstar, but that's just where I see them ending up in. So First and foremost, we start at QB5, and for me, it's Mac Jones, quick processor. You know, in terms of what Alabama did this year, a lot of people want to say, oh, yeah, so much talent on that roster. John Mechie is an excellent receiver, but losing Jalen Waddell 
he doesn't get enough credit for. Mac Jones made things happen for Alabama, and I think he's shown so much in terms of passing ability, anticipation, leading his receivers into space, and it was phenomenal. A lot of people don't like him because, you know, he's this traditional pocket passer. He's not going to beat anyone with his legs. Yes, he can move around. He put up a great pro day to where you can see the potential to move around in the pocket, and he showed that, but still there's issues in terms of his arm isn't going to be in the upper echelon of QBs. He's not going to really wow you like a Patrick Mahomes or even someone like a Kyler Murray where those natural you know balls just fly out of there. But he still can put a very nice ball out there. The issue I have most with Mac Jones is there's so many times where he gets pressured and he falls onto his back, uh, like he falls back on his feet, and it takes off so much on his passes. You've seen it in games against Georgia. You've seen it in games at the big level where, you know, these guys will come flying in and he, instead of, you know, either taking the hit, throwing the ball out of bounds, throwing the ball short, he'll still try to throw it deep and he'll be on his back feet. And it's just, it's a terrible ball. So he needs to fix that. And hopefully with coaching, with growth and development, that will happen. In terms of my grade, I gave him a C2. I think a lot of these QBs that maybe aren't as fast, are going to still have the same issues in terms of reading defenses and trying to develop. So we'll see a lot of maybe boring games for Mac Jones in his first year, a lot of quick passing games, a lot of limited offense, a lot of dependency on the run game. So he gets that C grade. But I do think that with proper development in the right team, in the right opportunity, he could work his way up to being a very good starter. You know, looking at it, I have a comparison to Kirk Cousins. And Kirk was a round four pick, but really worked his way up into becoming a very efficient quarterback, probably in the higher half of this league, despite, you know, maybe some people kind of not being in love with the idea of spending a first round pick on a QB that ends up like a Kirk Cousins. A lot of QBs, or I mean, sorry, a lot of front offices in the league would love to have Kirk Cousins on a rookie contract for the price of a round one pick. So Mac Jones, obviously there's a lot of talent here. He had big shoes to fill in with Tua last year. Didn't necessarily look great right away. But then in this year, he really became a superstar for Alabama. Chris, I'd love to get your opinion on Mac Jones and what you saw out of him on film. Well, he's a pocket guy. He does a really good job of identifying pressure, but he does play from a clean pocket, and he's going to need to play from a clean pocket. I think that uh, it is accurate that when when he's not able to have a clean pocket, it's tough for him to get. You know, pocket guys throw, as I said earlier, from their, their lower body, lower platform, legs. So, um, you know, that's, that'll be an issue. The, the issue is going to be a lot like, say, Joe Burrow last year. You know, now you're talking about a guy with talent. They were loaded with talent, and Joe was great at LSU without a clean pocket, and, and I thought Burrow did really well, all things considered. You know, how well Mac Jones is going to be is going to be directly correlated to the protection and the ability to play from a clean pocket. You mentioned it is, you know, his arm strength. Well, that's why if he's off platform, he's not going to be able to make a lot of arm only throws and be as effective. So if you're looking at that, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, what are you looking for in a quarterback? And right. people are all over the mix. I mean, it's like Bardock Carlock. I mean, you might have the best, you know, a minivan out there, but if you don't want that and you want an SUV, you don't really care what it looks like. If you want a pocket <laughs> guy and that's, that's what you're going to do. And you believe in, okay, I want decision maker, get the ball out on time accurately. And I'm going to build a pocket on 
then he can be very effective, very good starter. But if you're putting him and say he's going to have to do a multitude of things, he's going to be limited. So it, it to me, he's a really easy evaluation. It's just how successful he will be will be more directly correlated to what you do around him, and that is provide a clean pocket. And, and you know, it's not he's it's not good because there's talent around him. He's good because they protect him well, and he can get the ball to the talent around him because he gets it in, out on time and accurately, and he'll be able to do that at the next level provided he gets the same requisite protection, which is well, going to be a lot different, particularly with likely where he's going to go. You know, who knows? Absolutely. We got to keep moving. We're running out of time here. QB4, Zach Wilson. I'm sure a lot of people may be surprised by this because I'm a little bit lower on Wilson than a lot of people are. You know, that doesn't mean I dislike him. He's an absolute playmaker. You look at what he can do with his arm angles. He can throw the ball sidearm and still put it 20 yards on the line down the field. He's a playmaker. He can move around. He can adapt to any pressures. And he has confidence. That's one big thing that I think shares that comparison to Baker Mayfield. You look at what Baker was doing at Oklahoma, and it's so much of that same stuff that we see now with Zach Wilson. There's so much confidence in it. The year-to-year performances are so much different because once you get going, it's hard to stop. And I think that's a big part of Zach Wilson's game, and he works it well. Some of my issues, though, a lot of deep throws were kind of getting away with it. I think he got away with a lot of deep passes to a guy like Milne, a guy like even his tight end Rex or even guys like Romney where, you know, you're just throwing it and the cornerback doesn't make a good play on it. It's not going to happen as well at the NFL level. There were small bad habits. I didn't love some of the ways that he would kind of quickly pull away from a play action. It's just small stuff and it's nitpicking. And I understand that he's a very talented QB, obviously 33 touchdowns, three interceptions on the year, nearly 4,000 yards. I gave him a B2 grade. I do think that there is a little bit of limitation on him and he doesn't have as high a ceiling as the other three QBs that we'll talk about. But I do think that, you know, put him in a place like the Jets, if they build up this team well around him, he's not going to stop you from potentially taking that next step as a team and becoming a contender. And I'm sure a lot of people are a lot higher on him than I am. Some people I've heard have him at QB one. Some teams have been rumored to have him at QB one. So what do I know? But I'm just saying, this is my QB4. Chris, what are your thoughts on Zach Wilson? Can make plays off platform. Uh, he's very accurate. I think he does a good job there. Um, I think the, the thing, very confident. The thing is, he's, I if he ends up going too, personality-wise, he's the exact opposite of Sam Donald in New York. What I mean by that, Sam Donald is got kind of the California cool. You criticize him. It doesn't bother him. He doesn't pay attention to that. This kid's the type of guy that's going to, it's going to bother him. And no one criticizes more than the New Yorker Philly media. So worry a little bit there. If he struggles, how he's going to deal with the negativity, because it's going to come with the territory. So dealing with that, uh, he's got a little bit. I, I, I think he's a lot like Baker Mayfield personality-wise. You know how Baker was? It took him a while. Somebody criticized him. He had to snap back. Well, you can't do that. You just got to let that roll off your back. I mean, you can say what you want, but if it bothers you, it's going to affect you. So I hope it doesn't bother him like it did Baker. Baker's kind of developed a little bit more maturity. This guy will need to as well. And looking at QB3, we got Trey Lance, quarterback out of North Dakota State. Measured in at 6'4", in this pro day, 224 pounds, an excellent frame. Obviously, due to the FCS restrictions, he wasn't playing this year. 
But in 2019, 28 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Had a little bit of struggles against Central Arkansas, but there's a lot to like on tape. What I liked most about Trey Lance is, you know, there's definitely untapped potential with his arm. He can put the ball anywhere. He can put it on a lob or he can throw deep on a line, and it's really impressive. He's a great runner, and I think that's going to be huge for him. A lot of people say that Trey Lance, in terms of day one readiness, is going to have his issues. I think he definitely will, but I think he can find success early if that happens for him because he is a great runner, and he can depend on extending plays, getting outside of the pocket when needed, and that'll be huge for finding success early. He handles pressure well. He's able to stay in the pocket and maneuver in the pocket, which I think is huge for a scrambling QB that has the rushing ability that he has. Some issues, though. You know, there were plenty of times on crossing routes where he put the ball behind them. There's, you know, issues processing, making proper reads. There's a lot of lower-level defenses that he will kind of overlook when playing downfield as a passer. So he's got to be better in that, and I think that comes with experience. And getting more starts, more game time under him will be huge in terms of what we see out of him in growth. I think this is a guy that, you know, I have him at QB3, but if I'm a coach and I 100% believe in my ability to develop a QB, I'm looking at Trey Lance and I'm saying this is probably my guy because there's so much there to work with. And I think if you are an expert like a Kyle Shanahan at developing QBs, Trey Lance probably is one of the most enticing options because what he can become is QB1 in this class when looking at hindsight. Chris, what do you think of Trey Lance? And in terms of landing spot, how important is it for a prospect with his potential, but also, you know, some some rawness in his game? Yeah, he's got a lot of upside ability. He's got a lot of athleticism. He's got a gun for an arm. thing he's got to be able to do is anticipate, see the field better, get the ball out on time. That's the reason why a lot of those balls are late. I do think he's a guy that needs to sit. I think a lot of these guys do, but this guy more than even normal needs to sit, needs to learn. It is intriguing. I don't, I, you know, obviously San Francisco moved up with the idea. They like three of them. And so one of them is going to be there. If this is the guy, for example, being able to sit, if that's what they do. Um, and, and Kyle does want to embrace a little bit more of a mobile guy it would be intriguing, and that's that's where he, he would not be counted on to have to come in and play immediately. And, look, you could come around and run around and make some plays. That's fine, but the development's going to take a little while. And so um, that that that's the biggest challenge there. But And I wish he'd had a full year and a full slate of games to be able to evaluate, not just to evaluate, but to, to develop. Because I do think coming from that offense, a lot of the things that he sees and a lot of things that they do a little bit more – related to the pro game, but he missed that opportunity as we all did in this awful COVID year. Absolutely. And at QB2, I got Justin Fields. I've heard all this stuff about him, but I'm really sold on him. You know, there's some issues. He has a messy delivery. The ball kind of sputters out. And I think that really kind of hurts his overall arm talent because what we've seen, well, I mean, talking about what Chris has talked about many times, I think he has plenty of arm talent itself. But I think getting that delivery fixed is going to be huge in terms of unleashing that. There's plays where he will throw across the field and it goes on an absolute rope. But there's also some plays, you saw it in the Indiana game when he got intercepted. The ball just died down in the middle of the field. If he can fix up his passing mechanics, if he can, you know, kind of discipline himself to not try to make these hero ball plays where he breaks a sack and he's saying, okay, I need to get rid of the ball right away. If he's willing to, you know, either A, take a sack, throw the ball out of bounds, whatever. That's going to be huge. Obviously, in an Ohio State offense, there's a lot of 
reads that are very simple. So I think that's going to also take some time to develop and kind of make this NFL style offense more, you know, dependent on can he make those processing reads and instead of, you know, staring down wide receivers, I don't think it's so much an issue as his processing because I think there were plenty of times where he showed a great ability to do it. But I do think there's times where he decides pre-snap, I want to throw it to him and he'll completely miss someone wide open. So Justin Fields, you know, obviously got away with it because he's such a talented player, but there's going to be some growing pains at the NFL level that he needs to overcome himself. In terms of what I love about him, though, there's so much accuracy here, and he's one of the more accurate passers in the league or in the in the college football level, and he's got great mobility, great size, 6'3", 227, 22 years old, just turned it, so he's going to be 22 for his entire rookie year. And I think, really, if you can clean up what is a currently messed up delivery, you're going to unleash someone that has great arm talent, great mobility, great accuracy, and putting all those three together is going to be huge for his development, huge for his confidence, and you could have a superstar in this league. Justin Fields is someone that I am super high on, and I'm hoping as a Patriots fan that we end up with him. Chris, what are your thoughts on Justin Fields and you know the rumors that he's kind of viewed as his QB4? Where do you see him landing? Well, he's going to go high. I mean, real high. The quarterbacks are going to come off real quick. And obviously for people that are just joining us live by now, people that are listening, they know that Sam Dona was traded. Carolina was the team that I was looking to try to move up in a position to take a quarterback and not hoping and waiting for a guy at eight. They got their quarterback in Sam Donald, so they handled that. It's going to be interesting to see, though, if any of these guys, quote-unquote, gets not left out but drop a little bit. I don't think it'll be Justin. I think Justin's got great leadership ability. I think he's got great toughness. I think he's got good size. I do think he throws accurately on the move. Look, I think he understands his offense very well. He doesn't have a lot of football in him, meaning he hadn't played a lot. None of these guys do. Don't play as long as they used to before. If you have a really good year, you're usually coming out if you're eligible or you can come out early. So I think this guy, he knows the offense that he's asked to run, and I think he'll get better as time goes along. Um, I think this guy's a winner. I think he's got everything you look for, and I think he'll be – He'll be a high pick. Exactly where? Don't know. Maybe that's the guy that San Francisco goes with. I, I don't know. I, we all think we know what the Jets are going to do it to and who they like and who San Francisco likes. I mean, I think that it is, you know, after Trevor Lawrence, I think it's Fields, uh, Wilson, Wilson Fields, and I think that uh, there's a little bit of a mix, and I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be Wilson and Fields. I think that's how – both the Jets and the Niners have them stacked on their board, but that's a guess because nobody truly knows what's in their board. I do work for these teams, and I'm in meetings with them, and I I don't know what their board's exactly like. Yeah, and I think this trade that Carolina has made has kind of shown us that QB is going one through four in what should be a crazy situation. Whether that's Atlanta making the pick at number four or another team trading up, it does seem like the QBs are going to be flying off the board and fast. It's an interesting situation. Real quick, before we talk about QB1, I want to ask you, do you think that this is just the new norm to trade up for QB in this, you know, early picks? Like, going one through four is crazy. Or do you think it's a little bit of hesitancy looking ahead to the next year's draft class that maybe doesn't have as much appeal even early on when people are looking at it with rose-colored glasses? Not next year because you don't know. There's not enough football played now by these guys to look ahead to next year. It's like 
no one would have thought last year at this time that we'd be considering Mac Jones as a high pick. A year ago, there's no way that you would have said Joe Burrow would have been the number one pick in the draft. It was what they did. So you don't know. It's not like when I first got in the business 30-plus years ago as a guy. You had three years of a guy. You knew what he was. Now you maybe have a guy that's played one full year. You think he's got some ability. But, you know, now he's going to his junior year. So it's not about next year. I mean, you know what's there next year, but you really don't know. You don't know exactly how it's going to play out. I think it's a byproduct of you like some of these guys, you think they have value. It is you don't have to pay them as much as you used to on a rookie contract. So it's worth developing. It's worth a chance. You know, give it a shot. That's it's what it's all about. And I don't know. Be honest with you, Carolina was the team that I thought was likely if they could move into the top four. I don't know that we're going to go the first four quarterbacks. I, I end up, I think it's going to be three. I don't think Atlanta's going quarterback. I don't know who's jumping up. I don't know that Denver is going to jump up and do it. So this tells me with the Carolina trade of Sam Donald today, it could mean that we have two of those guys of the five. Two of them, quote unquote, slip, meaning, you know, people that think they're going to go for some of them may slip a little bit, meaning, you know, I don't uh, do where they're eight or 10 because I don't know who's going to take them. Cincinnati's not doing it. Um, Miami's not going to do it. I don't think that maybe would Detroit do it. Probably not. They're probably going to go in a different direction. Carolina, no, would would. Uh, Denver do it with Dallas. So who's coming up? I mean, would Philadelphia now move back up and get into the quarterback business if Mac Jones or, or Trey Lance slips? I don't know. Um, may, maybe Atlanta takes their future quarterback, but I tend to doubt it what they've done with, with Matt Ryan. So I, I think today's move with Sam Dornell makes it an intrigue that maybe one of these guys that don't go in the top three might slip a little bit unless somebody moves up because I don't know exactly where they're going. And I know that not everybody's quarterback shopping as much as it looks like everybody is. Yeah. I guess my thought process on it was just maybe Carolina tried to call Atlanta and Atlanta was saying, look, if you want your franchise QB, it's not coming from us because we aren't giving it inside the division. Well, and here's the thing too. If you're Atlanta, um, look, if you, if you're sitting there, you're Atlanta, you're at four, five, and six. You are in a position at those three picks. And I know we're running a little long, but to hell with it. I run the network, so we can go as long as y'all got time. <laughs> the so boss says so, we're good to go. <laughs> so so if, you're, if you're at four, five, and six, you may you will get one of the top three players on your draft board because the quarterbacks are being you know artificially moved up. So if you're not in the quarterback need business, you're getting if you're Atlanta. You can get a, you know, Panay Sewell if you if that's what you want. If you're if you're in Miami, you can get a Sewell or you can get a, um, a Jamar Chase or a, I mean you're gonna have a real good option. Um, I I would I think there absolutely I know Atlanta's been taking calls for the fourth pick and I still think they will. I, I think the price is gonna be high because I think they're probably gonna get I, most people even though they got a quarterback got Trevor Lawrence number one. So Atlanta's probably going to get their number two player on their board at the fourth spot. So I don't. I, I in order to get Atlanta to move, you better give them an awful lot. And so unless something, you know, crazy happens with a non-quarterback pick, you know, if Philly or somebody wants to move back up and get in the quarterback business, 
Minnesota, whatever, it's going to cost, cost an awful lot to move down uh, to, you know, let's say 12 or or 14. So, I, you know, and it, it, Cincinnati was a team that I think would have been willing to do business with Carolina. Ironically, the year I drafted McNair, that was – that was the pick. Carolina had the number one pick, and that was the year that Cincinnati moved up for Kajana Carter. So, yeah, I think today's move was really interesting, not just for Carolina and the Jets, but for other spots where we're going, where we're headed, who is maybe wanting to make a move for a quarterback. So let's assume that there's one or two, say Mac Jones or Trey Lance. I'm just going to throw those two out. It could fill in the blank with the two there's a possibility that where people are thinking those they're going, you know, one, two, three, four. I I'm thinking now that we may have a quarterback or two that'll slip a little bit. So what does that mean for a team that still might be quarterback intrigued? You know, would Denver do it, you know, with all the quarterbacks they've taken, what, what, what do they think there uh, George? Uh, how does he think about the, the quarterbacks in this draft? Cause I think a Trey Lance or a Mac Jones, one of those guys is probably going to be there a little bit longer than than everybody's been reporting. I don't know everybody's guessing, but that's just the reality of it. You start doing the numbers. Chris, I know that they just got Jared Goff, but he was more of like a throw-in. Do you, if the Lions love Trey Lance, can you see that? He starts falling. Do you see the moon up for him? Yeah, I kind of threw that in there quickly, and I don't think they'll do it. And I maybe, but but absolutely, if you really like Trey Lance. And you just an example, you got a really high grade on you like them. You really don't think, you know, would you would you take them there? Yeah. Would you, uh, it, you know, you would have to maybe look at that. I know the prevailing thought there is, OK, we got a quarterback. We got Jared Goff. Let's put a, a, a weapon, you know, with him. And that's that's what makes sense. But that's what the idea that everybody's got the four quarterbacks going top four and I, I don't know that's the case and what if they think Trey Lance for example and this is my point that I try to make out with everybody don't believe even you go to Landry football this is how I see it, it that doesn't make this is right for everybody I've kind of grade them for the league which is impossible one year I did literally like the top 50 for all 32 teams and it confused the hell out of everybody so I stopped <laughs> because again a player that will be great it's going to be graded differently team by team what if you are that team that you think trey lance is you know behind trevor lawrence the next best quarterback in this draft and you're there at you know uh where detroit picks i mean it's a it's a intriguing thought and something that you don't know i can always say this that we always we didn't go crazy with mock drafts in our meetings. I never allowed us to do that. I thought it was a waste of time. All I wanted to know, if I'm picking 10, go through every scenario of who could be there. I don't care how many times you go through scenarios. And the higher you pick, the less variables. But, man, we were fortunate enough. We were picking 25 and 30 a lot. There's always a guy. There was always a guy that, that that's in the top 10 on your board. That's there. I mean, I I did that one year picking 31 and got a player in the top 10 on our board. Keith Bullock was guy. I mean, there's always that guy. So if you're sitting there and you're eight, nine, 10, there's going to be somebody maybe in your top three that there's no one's thinking about, which is why mock drafts may be fun. They're useless because once one move is made, that's out of range. Then all of a sudden it changes 
the thought process in everybody's board to the point where they might even maneuver and move up to try to get a guy. It is, it is a, it's a different world inside the draft rooms than it is outside where you're trying to pick for 32 because it's the constant change, but your board is set in a way that you think certain things going to happen. And I don't care what it is. You don't know what's going on in everybody else's board and you're going to have to adjust to the move. It's like having a game plan for a game. You got to be able to adjust on the fly. And that's what I always try to do with our guys. Absolutely. And we're going to look at QB one. Now, Trevor Lawrence, look, it's been set in stone almost since he's mm-hmm. stepped onto the field as a freshman. This guy has everything you're looking for in a quarterback. I've seen a lot of prospect fatigue on him out there. There's a lot of people trying to really take him down and say, oh, he's not as good as a lot of people want to expect. He's good. He's going to be a good QB in the NFL almost no matter what. The issue is, for me, I look at him, and one of the biggest things I have worries about is that he takes so much contact. Even you look at him in the Alabama championship game as a freshman, and they're up about 20 points, and he's trying to truck through linebackers. I don't want to see this guy become the next Andrew Luck where he's this great QB and he does well in the NFL and then he just takes so much hits and, you know, maybe the offensive line around him isn't that great and combining those two issues leads to him having a shortened career. He gets glued on targets at times. He'll stare him down. He has, you know, a lot of first read throws, very quick decisions that he's making. I'm not going to fault him for that, but there is some, you know, misfires. Really, it's nitpicking like I talked about with Zach Wilson He's a great QB. There's elite arm talent. He can make off-platform throws. He does well in the pocket. He does well outside of the pocket. He can extend plays, and he's very quick to find reads. I've seen some great plays on where he's looking to the right. He sees a post coming over the middle, and he's very quick to transition his head, make the throw with a quick fire. Absolutely a day-one talent that I think is going to be very good in the league right away. Definitely should become something special. It kind of comes down to how the Jacksonville Jaguars handle this roster. You know, this offseason, Chris, the Jaguars were looked at as a team that was going to have a lot of money in a year where there wasn't a lot out there. Do you think that this kind of patient spending approach is the right way to go about it and kind of approach free agency heavy in year two of Trevor Lawrence? Or do you think that they may be misfired on their offseason approach? Well, I think free agency, you've got to be careful. People, you know, tend to look at activity and and think that the amount of activity determines success. I think what's important in free agency, uh, it's different. I mean, it's similar in the draft, but then it's different because you put a value of a player in the NFL based upon obviously his film, based upon his medical history, his contract, all of that. And you got to put a financial value and then you, quite frankly, you got to walk away. And people say, well, you got a lot of cap room. Just go a little bit more. If a guy's worth five, you got to pay him five. You start paying that guy seven, then the guy that's worth seven, worth that, and then you've got a roster that's overinflated and it's not very good. So I think you need to be careful with it. I think you need to build through the draft, but I think you feel needs through free agency. But I think the best values in free agency are after the first wave. I think they've done some good things. Have they done enough? I think they are trying to put the right mix together of the roster. I think it's going to depend on what they're able to do in this draft and obviously putting talent around Trevor. I think Trevor is an alpha dog leader. I went to – I remember uh, going to Clemson the spring, speaking at a clinic the year he came out of high school but was an early enrollee in January. So I'm there in that spring, and coaches tell me – I asked about – I said, this, this kid – Georgia looks pretty good. I've seen him on tape. And he, 
he said, and this is when Kelly Bryant was the leader and team leader and all that kind of stuff, leading drills. He said, Sky is already our team leader. Trevor was before he had ever, you know, put anything but a practice graze on. And so he's kind of got a unique alpha dog leadership. And I think he's shown that throughout his career. Look, he's, he's like all these guys and he's played a lot of football because he got in early. He still doesn't have as much football as we like to have him. He's got yeah. size. He moves very well. He's got the ability to make plays. Yeah. Look, he, a lot of those balls, particularly early in his career, I um, need just, throws it up to those, you know, those receivers. And he had a whole bunch of them that throw the 50, 50 balls. And those are really 70, 30 balls. And you know, it's great. You go for big yards, a 50 yard completion. You just yeah. throw it, let them go up and get it. I don't get hung up on that. What I get hung up as a kid, it's a guy like the game. Yes. Does he work hard at the game? Yes. Does he have the talent to throw? Yes. Uh, I think he's really pretty accurate. I think a lot of accuracy is about, you know, being able to anticipate and see it. You know, accuracy really is throwing the ball to spots on time. But a lot of time your accuracy is hurt by the fact that you're a late read, which is why if you got a gun for an arm, you can be a little bit of a late reader and still get it there at the same time. If you have to anticipate, you have to be great. This is why guys like Peyton, you know, Manning played so long, even though he didn't have a great arm towards the end. I think he's got all the intangibles. I think he's got all the tangibles. I think is a big reason why Urban took this job, so he could coach him, and they knew they were going to get him. Uh, I think he's really unique. He doesn't guys like that doesn't come along very often. With all that said, you just hit it. How good of a team they're going to put around him? You know, Urban. It's a great opportunity for him. You know, unlike Nick and Nick uh, Saban and I grew up in the business together. Never had that quarterback at Miami, and it never quite worked. I mean, he wasn't there very long. I think he eventually would have made it work. But to get a guy like this is you now have something that no one and everybody's going to want to try to get. So we're talking about all these teams trying to move up and trade for this quarterback and get in the position. Do we like this guy, that guy? Imagine the load of weight off your chest when you get your quarterback. Now you can take best player and put your team together. I think this sets them off in the right direction. It doesn't make them good right away, but it, it solves the major issue, but you just mentioned it. Got to protect them. Got to do a good job. I think the difference between he and Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck was beat up a lot and Andrew Luck was, and I had a tremendous grade on him. Andrew Luck was so smart. He had a lot of other, like, life interests. He made a lot of money, and I think Trevor is more like football is more his life, and I know you were not making the comparison between the two, but you were making the comparison. I hope that Trevor doesn't get beat up like that, yeah. and that's the case because but I, because I think we see that too. We see quarterbacks that are ruined and developed. Look, I, I thought Troy Aikman wasn't going to make it to his second year. I mean, I never seen anybody got beat up like that guy. But look what he look what came out of the backside of it too. And God, it were awful around him, and he was awful, and he was beat up, and it was a disaster. And you know, there were people people were when have social media like, oh, Steve Walsh is better, and all this kind of stuff. You know. So anyway, I, it's just be prepared for all the t- the stuff. Let's see how well they put around them. But this is obviously 
set you up on the right path if, if, if you're a team in like Jacksonville. So they're in a great situation to be able to get their guy. Absolutely. And before we leave, this is Nick Durst's rankings on the right side, my side on the left. Definitely has some hot takes. And Nick, why don't you talk about your QB ranks a little bit, your concerns maybe with some of the higher touted guys and yeah. what you like about some of the sleepers that you have. I mean, to me, it's just my ranking is I feel like longevity in, in the NFL here. I personally only think that Lawrence or, and Wilson can be these career these career franchise quarterbacks. And, you know, you call me crazy, but I'm, usually it's one or two per draft that actually can become these pros. Um, I think Mond, you know, so I'm at the senior ball. I think him and Trask have a great opportunity to, you know, be in this league as a lo- for a long time as a backup. Um, you know, I certainly think, you, you know, you look around the league now, guys like Blaine Gabbert, he's always sticking around and Mike Glennon. So, to me, you know, that's kind of where where I uh, had them a little higher uh, because they're not going to come into the league. Same with Ian Book as someone who thinks is going to start. And for me, you know, I don't think Jones and Field. I think Jones and Fields are going to end up, and we'll see who goes to the 49ers, but I think they're going to end up in this scenario kind of like a Sam Darnold so that they might not get it. You know, they'll start, and if they don't do great, then people are never going to look at them the same, whereas I got guys like Mon, Trask, and Book coming into the league as backups and they, they'll stay in the backup role and they'll have long-term success there. Uh, Lance, I don't know. I haven't really just, I just haven't seen enough of him. Um, you know, you, you got, you guys seem very high on him. Um, I got to have more of a wait and see approach here. There's not a slight on anybody or a boost over anybody. It's just that to me, I think this is a two quarterback draft and that's why there's such disparity discrepancy here on my list, but we can get into that some other time. Yeah, and, you know, real quick, I'm sure some people, you know, may look at this ranking and get annoyed about it or something because it's not close to the consensus. But at the same time, if you look at these rankings in hindsight of any draft class, the rankings that will you'll see as a hindsight ranking compared to pre-draft rankings are way different. So, Nick, if this is your opinion, you know, even if we disagree, even if I'm saying, hey, you know, Trey Lance needs to be higher, Justin Fields needs right. to be higher, there's going to be differences. My list isn't going so, to be correct. Yeah, and, like, my, my main thing when looking at – quarterbacks maybe it's not the best way to do it but so far i've been proven right in the last you know 15 years i'm very weary when it comes to taking a quarterback where they're the big man on campus at a huge football school so that's alabama ohio state and usc to me it just you know this isn't fair to the fields or mac jones here but based on the history of the their predecessors they always seem to have a tough transition going into the NFL because they're so used to winning and being the man, and then they're going to usually a crappy team, and they're going to deal with losing for the first time in their life, and they don't seem to adapt too well. I gotcha. Well, that is what we have for Destination Draft Day. Chris Landry on the show today. It went a little bit over time. We appreciate everyone in the comment section and everyone who viewed it that stuck around. Chris, before we sign off officially – Looking at all the mock drafts, all the draft hype, if there's one player that you think has been underrated, you know, in terms of he's going to go a lot higher than what people are expecting for him, who is it and who would you say is uh, maybe underrated everywhere? You know, the the NFL doesn't agree, the fans don't agree, but you love him. You'd have to help me because I don't read the mock drafts. Um, I'm trying to think who that would be, somebody that would go higher than maybe people might know. How about the – um, the Vera Tucker kid out of USC, I think, is really good. I, I don't, I, again, I don't know how people have them. The mock drafts have them. 
Um, but that's a guy that's a really good player, and I think he's I think he's one of the top dozen players in this draft. So I think he'll go uh, maybe a little bit higher. Um, you know, um, you know, I think we'll see a couple of tackles go. I think we'll see um, the the edge rushers are not as good. So when they kind of go more tor- inching towards the middle of the first round, those are the pos- that position would normally go in the top five or six. Would somebody jump up and reach a little bit once they get it? It's possible there. So, but I don't know that it's remember this too. And I, it's just, again, it's, it's, it's kind of the way I do it. And I have it on Landry football. It's, it's, it's grading the player and understanding how many fit into the overall, you know, you know, superstar ability, immediate starters, you see where the breakoff points are. And that's the key because that's where you see why people move down or up in the draft. Because when you're, you're picking at, 30 and you got a chance to move up to 16 to get a player that you got ranked six on your board. That's why they do it. Or, you know, it's why you move from, you know, six down to 18 because you've got a number of guys that are graded equally. And so you can move down 10 spots and you're going to get one of those 10. And so you get more picks. So I think to me, that's the key and that's the art of the draft. The science to me is evaluating and grading players correctly, setting your draft board with integrity. Then when you do that, then you let the board dictate to you. And I think a lot of it is, well, let's mock draft this, mock draft that. Let's see who this, who's my team, my favorite team is, needs XYZ position. That's the next guy of the name I read. None of that really matters because if you don't know how good the player is or whether he fits what you want to do, then, you know, the fact that he might be ranked on some universal board doesn't mean that he's an ideal fit to play guard or tackle or, you know, he may be more of a of a press man corner, doesn't play as well off. He doesn't really fit your scheme, so he's not going to be as good a fit for your team. And you'd be really surprised. Somebody that's ranked ninth on one team's draft board might be ranked 29th on the other. And I don't think people quite get that. And so – People see things differently among the 32 teams, and I see it all the time. And now I see it more because I do consulting work with teams. When I was just kind of involved with one, I knew what we liked. And it was always comical, guys, because we sit there in the draft room and say, we look at somebody else's board and we say, what the hell were they thinking? (laughs) Because I don't like either one of those first four picks that they got. And you know what they're probably saying in their draft room? the hell is Landry and those guys think because they don't you know it doesn't fit you'd be really surprised and so I see now dealing with different teams man how truly I'm not just how they grade the player but the style of player that they want look at the receivers in this draft you got three guys in my mind with six five grades that are the high first round value all three are different they're all three different type receivers you know and what you want is really depends upon the style you're running and do you need a slot guy more than you need an X guy more than a Z? That's going to probably take you to who you take. So those are some of my thoughts on kind of where where things might go. And there's, to me, not going to be a lot of surprises. You're going to see some quarter, maybe the, a couple of quarterbacks drop a little bit. And that means if quarterback drops, somebody's moving up. Or, you know, then you say the question is going to be, what happened to fill in the blank? These two quarterbacks, why did well just do the math? 
Somebody's got to come up with those quarterbacks because I don't think that Atlanta might, but I don't think so. Cincinnati's not taking one. Miami's not taking one. So if somebody's not trading up into those spots, then they're dropping. It's, you know, a little bit if you're thinking they're all going in the top four or five because I don't think they are. Absolutely. Well, we got to get out of here. We appreciate right. everyone for appreciate showing up. And thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. Hey, keep it great. Thanks for all you do. You guys do a great job. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Thanks, thank Chris. Thank you so much. And we'll see you guys on Friday. Take care, everyone. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.